we're sitting here today with Wallace Higginbotham. I hope I pronounced that correctly. That's right. Um, owner of the 61 Paul Man Grand Slam and the 60 Paul Man Grand Slam in Costa Rica. Um, I've known Wallace for a pretty long time. Uh, I'm here with Skip Jacks also here now. <laughs> He's got his stand yeah. going. Uh, and yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the state of sport fishing in general. Um, up to date, we've had a lot of different people on the podcast, but we've never really had an owner of a sport fishing program before. Um, and then it came to mind because last week we spoke about how the Calcutta's and entrance fees have become so ridiculously expensive, right? And I think that as, you know, just anglers in a boat or guests, it's, it's, it's a whole different perspective to get someone's two cents on it as an owner. Um, so Wallace, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Very, very good. Um, so yeah, can you give us kind of a short introduction of kind of who you are, uh, where you were born, how you got into the, the industry? Sure. Yeah, my name is Wallace Higginbotham. I'm from New Smyrna Beach, Florida, which is on the east coast of Florida, just uh, east of Orlando. Um, grew up on the river, started fishing as a kid off the dock, and got my first boat when I was 13, a 15-whaler, and it just kind of progressively got bigger from there, you know, fishing the river, catching trout, and then catching a tarpon, and then taking the whaler out to the sea buoy and catching a king mackerel, and then, you know, wanting to go a little further and go in the ocean. So you know, I think first started in the ocean on a, a 21 whaler and, you know, back then that seemed like... What was your first sport fish? First sport fish was a blackfin, 31 blackfin express. So That's a good boat. Yeah. Even back then, you know, a 21 whaler seemed like a big boat. So, you know, a 31 blackfin seemed like you could go anywhere. So Giant. <laughs> kind of got, got the bug back then and I've just been yeah. offshore fishing ever since. Did you ever go across on uh, a blackfin? What's that? Did you ever go across near Blackfin to like the corner or anything like that? Never to the corner. That's a long ways from here. We always had the weather buoy, which is off of here, 120 miles. So we would go there, just go to the east side and stuff. Um, okay. Pretty good fishing on the on the on the weather buoy out of here. And how did that progress? Did you go from the Blackfin to because I think you got the 54s at some point, right? Was it straight there? Yeah, or were there, yeah no, there was a there was a long period of time in between. Then we had a Hatteras at one time and um, a Viking, and then. I guess it was around 2004, maybe. It might have been later than that, but bought a um, 54 Spencer, which I think is the hammer time now. But had that boat for a while and fished wow. around. That was kind of the getting into the Carolina boat world at that point. Gotcha. That's where you kind of got into the tournament scene and yep. started doing that whole world. Yep. And then we built the we built the 54s, which was an awesome boat. And, um, oh, you built that Spencer? No, not the Spencer. We built the 50 Forbes. Uh, oh, the 50 their, Forbes, yeah. Yeah, that was, was a super, super cool one. Yeah. Super, that one caught my eye. That's kind of when I um, got introduced to you guys. So I saw it on, on, on social media. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting looking boat. Um, still is. So. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful boat. And, what, and were all those boats called Grand Stem since the Blackfin? Yeah. Yep, they've all been the Grand Stem. I played baseball. Were they all dark? Were they all dark colored boats? No, they were all white <laughs> up until until this last one. Uh, just the Grand Slam came from playing baseball. I grew up playing baseball, played a little bit in college. So uh, it's kind of a, a, you know, a fishing term that goes along with baseball. And yeah. Just kind of always, yeah, always been that way. What made you want to make that boat so dark on the house? Like, it's very unique. I love it. But what made you want to do that? I can't take the credit for that, unfortunately. That It's the old Gigi, so... Um, those guys, uh, those guys, you know, came up with that color scheme, but it's definitely uh, eye-catching. Gets a lot of attention. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and just for clarification, so that's the '61 Paul Man. And what year was yes. that built? Uh, so it was finished on the end of 2018. So. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Super cool. And then the old Paul Man that used to be the C Fix, right? It was the, the C Fix, and before that, it was the qualifier for Finn Gaddy. Had it in North Carolina for a long time. Ah, that's why it looks so familiar. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ah, okay. Cool. Cool. And uh, all right. And then you keep so you keep the sixty footer in Costa Rica, and you keep the sixty one up north. Yeah, the sixty one stays here. We're getting ready to do a boat swap in July when the when the ships come back. So <clears throat> the uh, the black boat will be over there, and. Um, the old boat will 
we'll come back here. Pretty excited to have the, the speed over there and low swingness to be able to keep up with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of get payback for all the times they passed you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, 27 knot boat is slow over there. I know. And we, when, when we had our boat there, we were cruising 30 knots, but we're getting flown by everything besides, yep. you know, the smaller boats. It was crazy. Yeah, for sure. But cool, let's get into the meat of things, uh, you know, the real reason why kind of you're on here. So you wanted to talk um, about tournament fishing specifically and kind of how that trend has evolved and over the past few years. Um, and it's cool that, that to have you on because you've done well in a lot of tournaments, right? So I have it here. You guys won um, the first leg of the Triple Crown, which was this year, 2021. And you finished second overall in the entire tournament series, which is amazing. Just so for the record, remember how I called that you guys were going to do well before you guys even went there? Yeah. I bet. I think I, I probably still was like, I was like, yo, these guys, watch out. They're, they're heading. They're going to be a tough crew to compete with. And there you go. So you guys did second place in the Los Angeles tournament series. And you guys won the Pelican Invitational before that four times, which is nuts. Um, you won the 2020 Alice Kelly out of Pirates Cove. Um, yeah, so you're no stranger to this, to this game. And uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is kind of what, in your opinion, makes a team good? Like what separates the greats from the decent ones? I mean, it's always been my, you know, my saying. I mean, you're not necessarily better than everybody else. You're better than them for those two or three days that you're fishing the tournament. But there's certainly some, you know, characteristics to go into the team. I mean, obviously preparation is one and, and, and two is to have the, the group of guys that have fished together before and have had the practice and the and really the, the shots to know what to do when when it counts. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of these big release tournaments, I mean, you got to go conservatively, you got to be 85%. I mean, really 90% will put you up there on the stage probably most of the time. And you know, there, there's not a lot of teams that are going to go 90%. And, you know, a lot of that is practice. I mean, you you got to go to the places where you can get some bites. I mean, you're not going to learn how to do that off the coast of Florida. I mean, you got to put your time in and go to Mexico or to Costa Rica or to Mag Bay or Guatemala or to Isla. You got to go somewhere that you can get the repetition and know how to turn, you know, one bite into three or four bites. And... You know, it's just, it's knowing what the other guy's going to do on your team, you know, before he does it. If you get a bite on the, you know, left flat, you know, are you going to slide another rigger back a little further in case he misses it? Or, you know, it, 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 you know, it almost got to the point in Costa Rica where you could tell, you know, by the way the fish bites the teaser, if there's one or if there's multiples there, you know, if it's an aggressive teaser bite, you're like, man, there's, there's probably more than one fish there, so everybody's got to be on their game. You know, the fifth guy's got to come up with the pitch and, you know, You guys like travel quite a bit too, right? Just train. I remember you guys went with Real Pushy and, and, and Cabo. Yep. I mean, we've been doing that since day one. You know, we kind of got the same group of core anglers and, you know, that all, that all tie back into the, to the, you know, your tournament entry fee question. But, you know, you got to spend the time and the money to go, go where the fish are to get your guys, the, you know, the repetition of the bites. I mean... You know, you got to you got to go. You know, Mag Bay for one was awesome. I mean, that was a great opportunity to go with Chris on the real pushy. But you know, we've been going to Isla with different guys, you know, for a long time. Even when you know, our boat wasn't there, and you know, went to Costa who were, Rica. Who would you fish with down there then? We fished with Jeff Ross or on the Obsession or Anthony. You know, fished. You know, I kind of where I got started in that realm was going with Hans Kraus when he had the vintage. Um, oh, yeah. That was his Rybovich boat back then when Mike Brady was his captain. You know, that was, I think, 1997. You know, go down there and leave the dock at 10 o'clock and, and J-hook days. I mean, that was a long time ago, but, you know, just different people down there. Anthony on the Keen M, you know, we'd go down there and charter him on the years that we didn't have the boat there. Just find somebody to go with and go get, you know, 10 to 40 bites a day. And, you know, I think it, you know, it doesn't take super long to figure it out. And would, would you take your captain, Captain Dave, as well? For yeah, Dave, just kind of the whole team, you know, when we go somewhere, okay. we try to all go together and, mm -hmm. you know, everybody seems to be pretty accommodating. Mm -hmm. And you said you have four anglers in total and one captain, usually? 
yeah, they're a group of four anglers for the most part that, you know, we, we fish together and, um, yeah, mate, Jesse, and then Captain Dave. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about all these tournaments coming in with like 10 paid mates, one tower guy, one guy on the sonar and four guys in the pit rigging baits all day long? I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think you've, you've got to, you've got to buy into it at some point to be competitive. I mean, do I, do I agree with it? Probably not, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, you saw the Galati boat, I think, had 14 people on it for the tournament. I mean, I I think we had 10. So, I mean, you know, it's at some point, you know, where is it going to stop? But, you yeah. know, it's, it, it gets frustrating. But, you know, in order to be competitive, if you want to be be there with those guys, I mean, you're going to have to you're going to have to do some of it. You know, we went and put the sonar in this year and, you know, it's a it's In the 60 or 61? It's on the Costa Rica boat, yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel like that was a difference maker. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of a lot of guys that I speak to, they all tell me like, you, you got to have it. Yeah. And then, kind of, and then what are your kind of thoughts on doing a tournament like that, like the Los Swingers one, like a Pirate School, where you have all these expenses, like obviously buy-in, but not only that, like you just said, you're gonna have a whole crew and and all that. It's easy to just say, you know, you got to stay competitive, but at some point it's like, where, where does it end, right? Is it going to be a game of who has the most mates on, on payroll? Like, You know, I you know it's, it's tough. I mean, you, you see, you know, like Los Sueños, you know, there's 40 boats this year. You, you see the Pelican used to be a 30 or 40 boat tournament. It's down to 20. I mean, you see you know the the big release tournaments i think have really lost some participation because there's obviously a lot of people that feel like they can't compete and when it's thirty thousand dollars to enter then you, you know, your participation's going down and i don't disagree with them but um you know i, I it's it's just gotten out of hand i think you know where you, like you said you have three mates a sonar guy a tower guy and you know doing all that stuff it's just you know it it, it it's hard on the it's hard on the owners hard on the crew of course you know it um I, th I think it's definitely drove participation down for sure you know for people you know mainly thinking they can't compete without all that stuff of course yeah and yeah and and, and i think we, we you see it in all facets right on boss because in south florida you'll see it too i mean um when you look at the kite and fish tournament stuff that skipjack does for example right you'll see all these guys coming in with you know prepping just professionals crews who, are, who i'm friends with who are great people um but as a you know hobbyist what the way what, what they do is they have like non-pro divisions what are your thoughts on that like having divisions within a tournament tournament i mean i like the having the non-pro anglers i i totally agree with the tournaments where they if you want to have one no problem at all. You know, I feel like that that's fine. I understand that, like Los Swingers does, and, you know, Skip has kind of done that, having, you know, one pro angler to, to help out, which is which is fine. But, you know, we just finished Walker's K where, you know, we were trying to cut down on the number of people there, and you know, they kind of just said, you know, anybody can be an angler, for one, and two, you can't pass the rod off. So, you know... At some point, when does it become a mates tournament? When does it become, you know, an owners tournament with its buddies? So, yeah. you know, I think you know, the tournament director has got to be, you know, he's got to have an open mind as to, you know, I, you know, I had my ten-year-old son with me over there, and it was supposed to be, you know, pass the rod off one-time tournament, and you know, at the last minute it was switched to, you know, no passing the rod off, and then it's hard to, you know, hard for a kid to pick up a eighty-wide. You know, 81 out of getting a chair. That's so, not going to work. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's an expensive sport. You know, I think the, the owners need to be able to, you know, they're all not, everybody's not young. So, you know, they need to be able to participate. And, you know, if they want to fish a tournament, I, I feel like that, you know, if you're going to have a, you know, one mate, I mean, it's an angler. I have no problem with, you know, the rod getting passed off one time for, you know, a lot of these guys that, you know, that might make a difference and, you know, drive participation up because we're definitely, you know, other than a select few number of tournaments, we're seeing, you know, a decline in participation in some of these tournaments.
Do you think the answer is to have just non-pro divisions where team who, for example, have not, you can use like a scoring system, right? So if you're a team who has placed in the top 10 in the last two years in the Los Suenos tournament, take that one, for example, then you're considered a pro and there's like different divisions. So there's like an amateur or hobbyist division and the pro division. Do you think that should be a thing where you have that separation or do you think that shouldn't be the case? I don't really think so. I, mean, I don't think you can have any. You know, we've already got everything chopped up and, you know, teams dwindling. I think Los Sueños has it figured out pretty well on the yeah you know, on the one ang- you know, the one pro angler in the teams. I mean, God dang, I mean, just about every angler on every boat there should be a pro. I mean, if you don't have exactly I mean, yeah yeah the talent the talent there is 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 pretty amazing. If you're gonna go all the way to Costa Rica to do a tournament, you you better know what you're doing. Yeah, that's for sure. For sure. I feel like a lot of those divisions, especially down here, but live bait, there's not a whole lot of money. We can like hear you guys, Did you, Were you able to like pick that thousand. up, Wallace? You don't even get I think you he just said there wasn't, a, yeah, there wasn't a lot of money in the, yeah. you know, the whatever. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of money in them, so I think it's more just to get people to participate more and have a chance yeah, to go up on stage. I guess that's one way to look at it. But then again, you know, um, the tournaments that Wallace fishes, those, these are big sport fishing tournaments, whereas people, you know, you know, they do care about winning a decent run of prize money. Yeah. Chase, what do you think about that, Chase? Like having like a division in a big tournament, like... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's not going to example because if you're going to ship your boat all the way there, you better know what you're doing, right? Kind of Wallace said that just now. But a tournament like Pirates Cove, right, where you have the we can have divisions. Do you think that should be the case, or do you think it should all be one thing? I mean, the, the thing for me is like, if you're like, let's say you just got into sport fishing, you're new, you know, but you got the money to do it, and you want to send your boat to Costa Rica. That's where you're gonna learn to get bites and catch fish, and you know, if there's there in Mag Bay, you're gonna go get bites. You know, and you got to learn to hook fish somewhere. So. If you send you send your boat over there, and you pay to ship it over there, and you're new, I mean you can't. It's hard to say like, oh, if you're gonna send your boat there, you gotta know what you're doing, because some people are gonna go there to learn. You know that I fished with guys who went there to learn how to hook fish. That's what they wanted to do was learn how to hook fish, and they went there to do it. And you know they fall in love with it, and next thing you know they have a boat there. Um, you know, the one pro angler and you in my go and opinion against a guy like Wallace, and then <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's that's the kind of thing. It's fun, you know. It's competition. That's you know, these people when they're learning, they strive to be as good as someone like Wallace, or they strive to be as good as you know some of these guys who are being paid and flown in to be pro anglers, you know. And for me, it's I think that you. Los Sueños has it pretty right. The one pro angler, great. Um, you know, sometimes, like, Ocean City is pretty much jungle rules. The White Marlin Open, I can hook in hand, uh, but as soon as I hand that rod off, they have to fight the fish. Um, you know, and that, that kind of stuff. It takes, it takes that angler mentality out of it. I mean, yeah. As long as you can turn a handle there, you, you can catch fish, you know, because your mate can sit there and hook them all day long. But, what do you think about that, Wallace, the, the concept of the hook and hand in a tournament like Big Rock or whatever? I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, the, the, the problem I have is when it's it turns into a mate tournament. I mean, not, mm-hmm. not for my team personally, because we can all hook them just as good as a mate. But, I mean, there's a lot of I, – I think that drives participation down – when there's teams that feel like the, you know, the, you know, the owners are not going to get the fish. I mean, I've heard it from guys on the dock here that, hey, why did why did I even go? You know, I've got three mates and they're the only guys fishing. I guarantee you could take go look at the app from the Walker's K Invitational and see how many fish were caught by a mate versus how many were by a regular angler. And I think it would scare you. Um, mm-hmm. Or go to the custom versus production and pull it up. I mean, I think it would scare you. You know, you, it's just. I don't know that that's what it needs to turn into if this is going to be a sport that we're going to try to pass down to people going forward. I mean, uh, you know, 
an owner's not going to want to bring his grandson on the boat or his son, you know, if the, there's going to be three mates fishing four rods. I mean, so if it needs to be where the rod gets handed off to somebody else, I, I personally have no problem with that. You know, but I, I think that goes back to a tournament where you have, you know, one professional angler fishing, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't create the problem where it's, you know, free for all and you have a professional mate on every rod and, you know, the rest of the guys aren't fishing. And why do you think a tournament like Custom Production has not implemented that yet, the way those trainers has? You know, it, it Skip does have it in the in the custom boat shootout. You know, it started off as no professional anglers, and I and you know, COVID's changed that to try to cut down the number of people. So, you know, everything got changed a little bit this year. But it was one pro angler this year. So, just different tournaments. You know, have different different rules. I can understand you know every one of them being a little different. Um, you know, mm -hmm. but I gotcha. you know like the big rocks of free for all. I think you can kind of do whatever you want, but you know, I think when you're fishing a kill tournament for one bite, you know, I think everything's a little bit different. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you enjoy tournaments like kill, like luck, kill tournaments, luck tournaments? I guess it's kind of the same thing where you just got to be lucky to get the big one, right? And then we have the crew to capitalize on it. Are you, do you enjoy those as much or more than a release? I mean, or... I think the, the fun part about that is until lines are out on the last day, you know, you still have a chance to win. Um, and yeah. I think that's why you have the, the big number of boats um, and the big purses is because it only takes one bite. I think, you know, just like I said earlier, that you get these release tournaments with the big numbers, you know, there's only a handful of boats that are going to win. And there's just why there's less and less people entering every year. You know, you go fish a tournament five years in a row and don't do well. You know, maybe you don't get in the sixth year, you take that money and you go fish the Big Rock or the White Marlin Open or whatever and for your chance at, you know, a really big purse. And, um, yeah, so personally, I, you know, I look forward to it. You know, you haven't caught anything all week on the fourth day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or with the Big Rock at 2.30 in the afternoon, you get a bite and you could, you know, win a million dollars. I mean, I mean, you, I look at, you look at Joey Coyle, the kid that I was telling you about that won the White Marlin this year, I think he had two bites that day. He raised two fish and a double and hooked one of them and it happened to be 97 pounds. You know, when you're fishing in Ocean City and you're fishing the White Marlin Open and all that kind of stuff, I think you get a lot more participation because you get these guys who, I mean, you're praying for one bite. You know, you can fish inside 100 fathoms all week long and, you know, because that's where... A lot of people say the big ones live and you can fish in there all week long and pray that you get your bite. And some people do that. And some people try and go pick a big one out of the, you know, six, seven bites or, you know, however many, like two years ago, there was people getting, you know, 17, 18 bites, but they're all 40 pound fish, you know, and it's one of those things. Yeah, you can go win the release category in that, but the kill category is $2 million. Why would you go do that when you can go troll around and pray for one big bite? So it kind of, I mean, you see why the participation levels go up in that versus taking a guy who fishes weekends and bringing him to a tournament like Los Sueños or, <laughs> you know, even the sailfish tournaments down here, you know, deadbait sailfish tournaments. I mean, Wallace, you guys used to crush in them too. Uh you know, and I fished a lot of them on the showtime, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a guys who are fishing weekends and be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put you up against the Grand Slam and the showtime and all that kind of stuff. I can't do that to them. I'd be like, you guys are gonna get beat. It's not one fish isn't gonna win it. It's you got to be able to put the boat in a turn in the Benitas and you know, scrap out your bites and make it work. Hmm. Now, what do you think? Um... On the flip side of that, because there's so many boats participating, the purses are just so ridiculously high. Wallace, do you think that's something all right, that's great, or do you think it's become way too crazy? Because you almost had it last year. Yeah, I think the, you know, I think at some point the entry fees are, you know, they're getting high. I mean, I think tournament organizers have realized that, hey, they're going to make a living off some of this stuff. I mean, um, 
you know, is, is 25, 30 grand too much for a fishing tournament? I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. You know, if, you know the different levels and fishing for one bite on a blue marlin. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty cool. But you know, you know, low swingos is now you know twenty five thousand tournament. I mean, it's gotten it's a lot. You know, if you don't win a daily or you know don't hit something that you know makes for an expensive year. And um, we actually we just talked about it uh, as we're planning our program. We just talked about it, and the owner's son asked me, he said, what are your favorite tournaments? And I told him, I love the Mid-Atlantic, and then I love a couple uh, in Florida, and then the Los Angeles Triple Crown. He was like, well, what about the Bahamas tournaments? And I told him, I was like, man, I was like, you know, the Bahamas is fun, but why are we going to, you know, if we're going to spend 20 grand to be in tournaments, why are we going to spend 20 grand to fish in a couple of tournaments and then end up spending 60 grand or so a year in tournaments when for 40 grand we can put a boat on the ship and go fish Costa Rica and have a blast. You know, and if you're fishing the Bahamas, a lot of times you're fishing for one or two bites a day. You know, if it's good, four, five, Wallace, so you can attest to that. You know, I mean, every once in a while you'll get really good fishing in the Bahamas, but the Bahamas is the Bahamas and anyone who fishes enough will say you know you get one or two bites a day and that's that's good fishing you know so we talked about it and we said look you spend all this money to put to go into these tournaments why not just save it and take the boat somewhere where we can just go catch fish and have fun you know and uh there's a big debate on on the boat right now about whether we want to fish tournaments and do all that kind of stuff and you know for me i love fishing I love the chance to make the extra money. I love the chance to, you know, do all that. But in all honesty, like, I don't, I mean, I do this to go compete. Like, I feel like every day I'm competing against the guy next to me at the dock. But it's friendly competition. And, you know, now. Well, and money gets involved. It all of a sudden. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Things change a little bit. And. You know, and everyone you feel gets that too, Wallace, when you're competing in a tournament like Big Rock, where there's so much money at stake. Um, do you think that's a good thing, or so that there's so much money at stake, or do you think that it is what it is, and you know, yeah, think, everyone benefits? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think if you're a competitive person, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're going fun fishing or going fishing for a million dollars. You kind of put the same effort forth every day. I mean, we fish every day like it's. A tournament but certain yeah i mean you know that going out you know what what what's at stake and um well that kind of goes back to what we said earlier and you know i think in our notes we talked about you know you know for new owners new crew is that just like chase said i mean at some point you know does a does a newer team need to need to go fish something like the big rocker for 30 or 40 grand could you go fish mag bay and costa rica even if you had to go on somebody else's boat and you know go teach your guys how to fish because i think that, that will pay you back in the long term is going to invest that money and in going to fish i mean like like i said i mean we've been all over the place with with our crew fishing with with everybody you know all who, over the who place. would you recommend let's just say you have a starting crew who's kind of getting into sport fishing and wants to kind of learn from some of the best guys who would you, who would you recommend a crew charter um i, mean, I think to start out the easiest to do is to go to Isla Mujeres and, you know, go fishing with, with Anthony on the Keenum or go with, you know, Jeff Ross on the Obsession. I think you go in the end of January, beginning of February, you're going to get, you know, 10 to 40 bites a day. And that's, you know, a great place to start. Or you go to, you go to Costa Rica. You know, I personally have not been to Guatemala, but I know it can be very good there. But, you know, in Costa Rica, you can fish with, you know, Bubba Carter. I mean, the, you know, the list is endless over there on people you can fish with and, Capos. I mean, I think you got to go invest the time and invest the money for your crew to fish as a team, you know, not just the owner go jump on a plane and go fish by himself and, you know, do that. Hey, I feel good. There's a lot of programs that I kind of see where, you know, they get really good at one thing, which is something that I was, you know, when I look at you guys, you guys have done very well at. You know, you can catch, like, a Pacific sailfish eats completely different than an Atlantic sailfish on dead bait. You know, a dead bait, you're prospecting all day in the Atlantic. 
And, you know, a Pacific sailfish is angry like a white marlin a lot of the times. And to that point, you know, I think to go with what you're saying, you know, when you're starting out and you want to learn how to create a program and, you know, be a competitive fisherman, you got to do the things like Isla. You got to go try, you know, Mag Bay, you know, go places where you can see different types of bites and spread that out so that way you can feel it, you know, because it's, it's really one of those things where no, like a white marlin's, in my opinion, one of the trickiest fish to hook. Uh, I think, you know, I heard my boss say it today, they're reincarnated fishermen, uh, is what he told me. And I never heard anybody say that before because I grew up fishing for him, but you know, that was, I was like, Oh, I like that. That's, that's really true. Yeah. But you know, sometimes you get a little blue one that, you know, is just swimming behind your bait with his mouth wide open and you know, you're just waiting for him to take it from you. And you know, those guys who feather their bait back a little bit and give it to them, you know, those guys who have that kind of feel from fishing for white marlins and doing all that kind of stuff, you start to mix it and feel it. And that's the big key is getting other bites, you know, feeling different fish and then taking that into, you know, the competitive stage where, okay, let's go fish the triple crown of those sueños and let's go fish some of these competitive sailfish tournaments and see what we can do. What do you say that's your favorite tournament, um, Wallace, the Luswinius one? I would say, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're new there, so, but yeah, I mean, that's as competitive as it gets, and you're going to get some bites. So, I mean, I feel like there that the, the cream's going to rise to the top. There's no, you know, I've always said, and when the fishing's slow, anybody can win. When the fishing yeah. is really, really good, you know, the top 10% of the boats are going to be there most of the time. So, you know, the, the, the only, wild card in costa rica is the 500 point blue marlin but i mean other than that you know yeah it's uh you know usually the the guys that are going to go 90 percent are going to be at the top i mean you can't let them get away there and then what do you think about um press release uh i might get sued for this but you know whatever that they that they <laughs> that they uh weren't gonna allow, gonna allow people to participate unless you own um a condo or some sort of real estate in the resort um Personally, my team as the hate channel, we got affected by it because we do not own, which means we can't participate. Um, don't quote me on this. I believe it's something like that. Um, Wallace, can you, if you know the the 100% facts, can you correct me on that? Because you need to own a property and a new one to participate, right? I did not hear that. You, you have, I mean, you have, yeah, I did not hear that. I mean, you do have to have property to get a permanent boat slip there, so. Correct. Um, but I did not see that about the tournament. I, I hope that's not the case because I mean, there's quite a few boats that fish this year that did that. No, the, yeah, no, but that is pretty much the case because that's why King was not competing and that's why is not there anymore. I mean, it affected quite a few people and, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's brought quite a bit of controversy. Um, the next podcast, I'll do my research and come up with the facts and really have everything streamlined. Okay. Yeah, I know they're, they're limited on boat slips there, obviously. So I know there's yeah. boats that want to come and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't, I don't know all the particulars there. Yeah. I got uh, on the next podcast, I'll, uh, I'll share all that, but I do know that, that they're trying to kind of, you know, keep the group selective. Do you think that's a good thing? Kind of invitational type of tournaments, or do you think so it I should mean, be? I mean, there, I think you're limited to, to dockage. I mean, there's only so many boats that, are, that live over there. So, you know, I mean, other than Capos, I don't know where else they would come from. I don't know where you would put them. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like if it's, if you want to fish a tournament, you should be able to fish a tournament. You know, I, don't, I agree. I don't like the select group buddy system deal. I mean, if you want to go compete, you should be able to compete. I mean, my gotcha. thing is if you want to, if you want to charter a boat, you know, from Capos, and I, I never understood why they didn't let, you know, Capos boats come down and get in it, but I never really thought about the whole dockage idea. I never put that much thought into it, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's not an open slip there, so I mean, unless you no. anchor it out, I don't know what you would do, but. 
But, I mean, if you could anchor right there in the bay, why not let yeah. him in the tournament? It's more money. I agree. I'm all for it. But I just, the way that the tournaments are going nowadays, you know, so much money being in it, the, the you know, like we said, the $20,000 and $30,000 Calcuttas for White Marlin Open and Mid-Atlantic, I mean, that's unheard of, you know, in my opinion. I mean, I I look at it and I'm like, damn, that's like, a good chunk of change like that could pay off my student loan debt you know and some that's to go fish for a week or a weekend and it just blows my mind yeah for sure a lot of money <laughs> but it is what it is um you know what what do you think the future tournaments look like do you think it's going to be more towards having the hook in hand and one professional angler system or do you think there's not going to be much change I mean, I don't see a lot of change coming. I think the tournaments that are here are pretty established. I mean, they're going to tweak something here and there. Yeah, maybe. What would you tweak? Huh? What What would you tweak? Like you said, the the like, what What would you tweak on a tournament? Like, I don't know. What What does your ideal tournament look like? Well, it's funny you ask. I've always said, either in South Florida or the Bahamas, I think you need to have a a, a two-part tournament during the day have a you know morning session come back in have a big giant pool party and cook out and then go back out for an afternoon session you know where you don't have to run, run very far i think that that would draw participation up i mean always that sounds to do like a that. good idea yeah <laughs> i'll do that one captains just can't drink at the the midday pool party but um um you know i don't know the ideal tournament i mean I don't know. I think maybe a, a, you know, a sailfish tournament like the White Marlin Open where you could keep one, I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, I think that it's proven that, you know, the dead bait South Florida sailfish tournaments are, are dwindling. I mean, now they're 10 to 20 boat tournaments. I mean, they used to be big. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, the triple and quadruple dredges and yeah. Who, wants to prospect, who wants to prospect all day when it's 45 degrees and rough seas? I mean, and you wonder why nobody enters. I mean, it's not rocket science. And what you know, mate 20, wants to rig 350 mullets? I mean, we ran 115 miles each way in the Pelican this year. Um, it's just, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I can see that participation dwindling. I mean, you know, those same boats that are doing that are going to Costa Rica and going other places, so... I got no idea what you said. Yeah, you gotta pick your phone up. I think what's keeping that is the uh, like food hardware. For sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's later. You know, it's in January, so the fishing's a little bit better. But um, I said I think the only thing that keeps really the participation the, in Pelican you know, is probably going to be the, the dinners. The term is going. I, how, I think the well, big successful ones are going to stay. And, some of these smaller participation term, smaller events are gonna, you know, keep dwindling. I think. Gotcha. I mean, you look at like the the Stewart Light Tackle tournament. You know, two years ago when we fished it, there was eight boats in it, and the first day was like sixteen foot, and we were like, "Why are we gonna go in this?" You know, to go fish. And I think two boats fish, and it was the Miss Victoria, which is. 80 some foot and the catch 23 which was an 80 foot you know and you know everybody else fished the second day and was like all right let's go try and win a daily but even still you really weren't going to win your money back you know especially not after you buy bait and all that kind of stuff in that that kind of tournament and you know it, it, it sucks because it's not a bad tournament you know like those tournaments are actually you know, it's a lot of work and prospecting is not all that fun. But if fishing's good, those tournaments are a lot of fun, in my opinion. And I will stand behind that for, you know, forever that I'm thankful that I got to fish them. And, you know, the Pelican two years ago being 14 foot, you know, I don't know if you guys were in it that year, Wallace, but it was it was big. 
and we had you know we had a blast doing it because we caught fish but if you go out there and you're gonna a lot of people look at it and they're like oh we're gonna go fish these tournaments for two three bites and it's gonna be rough and 45 degrees yeah it sucks and some of them are like that but <laughs> i hate i hate to see them die out because it is it is cool and it is fun but i wish more people would get into it so that way it brought it back you know and at the same time i wish fishing would get better because a couple years ago you know fishing was great at that time and now it's like hell you can go out now and catch 10 sailfish for some reason and that used to never be the case so i don't know if that has to do with water or climate change or anything i don't know but that's just my opinion on those tournaments now also let me ask you this um what would your advice be for someone that wants to break into the industry as a mate or captain or you know someone who just kind of wants to work on, on a boat since you're an owner what, what advice would you give them that's, that's the topic that we often talk about but i'd love to hear your perspective on it yeah i mean i think i think it was chase that said something a couple podcasts mm -hmm. back about you know nobody wants to come help out or fish along anymore you know now you got guys that want to ride in the tower and want you know 200 bucks a day to ride in the tower i mean back when i was a kid i was going up and down the dock and you know asking to ride along with somebody and help them clean their fish or clean the boat or you know do whatever else you know whatever i could do to to ride along i mean um you know you just don't really you really see that anymore i, I think the you know, best way to break in is what he said you know go down and talk to the guys on the dock ask if you can help you know do whatever you can do and then ask to ride out you know most of the time the guys will well, these boats are big now so there's room and help out when you get back in you know show me the boat and you know, do what you can help you know and you pick up stuff you know you you know that kind of goes back to you know us going around fishing with whoever we can fish with or charter you know you're going to pick up something from somebody else every single time you go fishing doesn't matter who it is if it's good bad or indifferent you're, you're going to learn something from seeing somebody else do it so to that to that point uh you know if someone comes and asks me as the mate can i go fishing with you guys you know it's usually okay i go to my captain my captain goes to the owner you know and is it one of those things as an owner where you're like eh, no, I don't want a random person coming on my boat? Or are you guys more like, oh, cool, let's get someone into this who's young and, you know, let them see what's going on? You know, how do you feel as an owner in that aspect when, some, when you know, if your mate comes to you and says, hey, can, you know, my buddy ride along or something like that? I mean, I think if you trust your guys and they know that somebody's got good intentions and, you know, wants to come on the boat and help out and, you know, then sure. Yeah, I mean, you want somebody that's enthusiastic about it and, you know, wants to wants to learn. I mean, hell, that could be your, you know, your future mate one day. I mean, you, don't, you just don't know. So there's definitely a shortage of those people around that have, you know, a true interest in it. So, I mean, at least for me anyways, if, you know, if that situation arises, then, yeah, I'd love to try to get somebody into fishing that's not into it. Well, wow. that means that you're going to have about five guys waiting on you when you arrive at Pirates Cove in <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> you're going to have like an army of, of guys just waiting for you to get back in. <laughs> like everyone's going to want to sham your boat. You're going to see like a crew of, of guys on the Grand Slam just shamming <laughs> every day at the tournament. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really hard to find a mate right now. Like, it's, true story. Like, for sure. How did, how did you meet Jesse? Uh, Jesse was a professional bass fisherman and had another full-time job. So actually, I had zero offshore experience other than going fishing a little bit with some, some friends of mine. But definitely, you know, was a fisherman at heart. So, you know, I always say what we do is not super complicated as long as you're willing to work at it. So, you know, old mate was, you know, moving into the real world. So he spent some time with him and picked it up quick. So, you know, I think if you can find somebody like that, that's, you know, you don't want the guy that's jumping from boat to boat to boat looking for the next best deal. So find somebody you can teach and train that on your program and, you know, try to be good to them and keep them around. Hmm. Hmm. That's yeah, kind of how, cool. 
Go ahead, Chase. Go ahead, Leo. No, no, go ahead. When, uh, you know, I, I started out as a bass fisherman too. You know, that's, that's where I found my love for fishing and then, you know, watched boats go offshore for the White Marlin Open and, in Ocean City and then I was like, oh, I want to do that. You know, and now I look back at it and I'm like, I am so glad I started offshore fishing because I love it. You know, and nobody wants to sit at the dock and wax all the time, but fishing makes it worth it. So if you can find a guy that just truly enjoys fishing, it's, you know, on days off, I go bass fishing. I go snook fishing. I do whatever I can. I love fishing, genuinely love it. And if you can find that, you know, a guy or, you know, a young younger kid i mean i know i'm still young skipjack you're a little bit younger than me but you know you genuinely love fishing if you can find that in somebody you know they'll put up with waxing a boat you know that's that's the work day is waxing the boat and all that kind of stuff that's the work in this industry the fishing is just for me like yeah rigging baits and all that's rigging baits but it all goes into fishing that's the fun of it you know and i i love it and you know, I'm glad I get to do something that it's not, you know, crazy work and it's not, it's a lot of hard work, but I love it. So it doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel that way. And I'm sure ask Jess... this, sorry, to you, sorry to cut you off, Chase, uh, but I have actually a question popped up into my mind, which is, which is really interesting to ask Wallace. From another perspective where you're kind of an owner operator and want to start doing tournaments, either at South Florida or Big Rock or you know, trying to do the Bahamas stuff. What advice would you have for an owner who already has a set of guys that he fishes with and wants to do it more competitively? Um, how do you, how would you go about doing that? Like what's the some, maybe some mistakes that you ran into when you kind of got started with your program um, that you can share with us? Well, I think the biggest advice would be just go back to what we said before is just go get some practice somewhere. I mean, if you want to be competitive, I mean, you got, you just got to capitalize on your bites and know that, you know, it's not always going to be, everything's not going to go as planned, obviously. So, I mean, you got to be able to deal with the, the ups and the downs and, you know, everybody's got to be friends at the end of the day. If you, you know, you lose a fish or miss a fish, then, you know, it's got to be, you just got to go on to the next one. So, you know, I think that, you know, you, you, everybody's got to, you know, stay positive and, you know, get all the practice you can get wherever you need to get it in order to, you know, prepare for the, the moment when it happens. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nothing replaces experience. That's like having experience. Like I've, I've met, you know, we talked to Jimmy a couple weeks back. And Jimmy's seen and done a lot of stuff. And, you know, even when you talk to him, he's still like, man, I still want to do this and I still want to try that. You know, and he'll ask you a question and be like, why do you do, you know, your bait that way or something like that? That's, you know, the guys who are continuously learning, that's who's, you know, always going to be, in my opinion, the best. And, you know, if you're going to start out, why not go fish with somebody or, you know, go fish with a good captain and learn how to read water. If you're going to be an owner operator, you know, and you're going to run your own boat, go learn how to read water. So that way you're understanding, you know, a water chart, like in the Bahamas, if the water's pressed up on an edge, you know, and you don't know about it and other guys are getting bites over there and you're just trolling around aimlessly fishing bottom, you know, that's, one of those things that having a captain is going to help you with because he's going to know how to read that. But if you go fish with someone who does, you learn it, and then you're like, okay, I got this. Cool. All right, well, Wallace, let me ask you one last question because I know you have to go head on over to dinner. Um, what do you think about the flying flags? Because that was something that was kind of... A lot of people have been talking about that lately. Do you think flags should be flown right side up for a release or upside down? Does it matter? Does it not matter? What do you think? I know that a lot of a lot of guys took offense to 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 some people flying it right side up. <laughs> I'm in a 
I'm from Central Florida, Palo Salad, so uh, we, fly, <laughs> we fly ours. We fly ours upside down, no matter where we go. Um, you know, old school. So I love the the billfish flags, but you know, they, they need to go upside down for me. Um, yeah, that's great. I have no problem. I, I fly. Them, and, I think I, Chase, you fly upside down too. Yeah, upside down. Uh, unless I kill one. If I kill one, it goes right side up. Sure. I but think that's, that's, uh, that's that how I mean, I, I don't know if it's the same for you, Wallace, but that's how we were always taught. If we killed one the way Marlin opened, you fly, or if we killed one just regular fishing, you fly that flag right side up and you do every other release upside down. Yeah, it's always been that way, so that's probably one of the conversations that's not going to make everybody happy, so. Yeah. yeah. Leave it at that. Yeah. All right, skip check. I think you'd like to differ. <laughs> Yeah, it, it just seems like it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, like, in Pompano and around here, a lot of these guys fly right side up. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think they really care. A lot well, of these guys on, on, the, maybe they do. I don't know. Chase? But anywhere, like, different north of Palm Beach different folks. and anywhere else in the world, they always fly upside down. I think that's the most important thing of it all. On the H on Pompano, in, Miami, guys, they all like fly right side I up. I personally think that the right way to do it is you got to respect wherever you're fishing. I think that's kind of crucial. That, um, you know, yep. if you go to somewhere where etiquette is flying it, you know, upside down for release, that's what you should do. If you go somewhere like Los Angeles or Cabo where flying flags is not the norm, you shouldn't go and fly flags, right? So I think you kind of have to be able to adapt and, and um, you know. You know how annoying it would be to throw like 20 flags up every day? Of course, it's ridiculous. Especially if you yeah. go to like Cabo and you go to Mag Bay and you throw up like 100. <laughs> Hell yeah. no, I ain't doing that shit. Yeah. Your All fingers right, cool. would bleed well, every day. <laughs> well, cool, Wallace. Thank you. Um, it was awesome having you on, and it was nice to be able to pick, pick your brain on these topics. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. That was fun. And uh, yeah, enjoy yes, dinner. Sir. Okay. Thanks, guys.